Welcome to Horsefly Chronicles Radio with Julia and Philip Siracusa. Sponsored by Carnation. Airing live on United Public Radio Network on 105.3 and 107.7 FM in New Orleans. This show's opening has been produced, edited, narrated by Gwen Luckett at gluckett.com. Everyone and welcome to Horsefly Chronicles Radio with myself, Julia Syracusa, and Philip Syracusa. We are broadcasting live from the United Public Radio Network on 105.3 FM and 107.7 FM from New Orleans. We are fully sponsored by Carnation, so we want to thank them for their sponsorship. We love them. You'll have to do a few things in order to participate in chat. Go to our YouTube page, UFO Paranormal Radio. You could go to all of the Facebook stations, UFO Paranormal Network, UFO Undercover with Joe Montaldo, News on the Flip Side, Horsefly Chronicles Radio, SoundCloud, Podbeam, Twitch, all of those platforms. Um, tonight, guys, we have another two amazing guests to the show. We are so excited to have them on. So please welcome to the show Melissa Stone and Craig Owens. Melissa Stone is an actress and a writer. She began acting at 12 years old and has appeared in the film The Great Buff Howard, which I love that movie. She is currently working on her first novel. Craig Owens is a writer's productions assistant in film and television with credits that include Wag the Dog, Phone Booth, another favorite movie of mine, The Gilmore Girls, and he is an author and a paranormal investigator and and a historian who really likes to dig deep into the stories behind the hauntings. He's an amazing photographer, and he appeared on many paranormal TV shows. So please let's welcome them both to the show. Welcome. Hey. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Did I do good? Huh? He said, did I do good? Uh, I I haven't been a writer's production assistant. Since like the nineties, but nineteen um, okay. nineties. So, yeah, it's so, still um, part of what you've done, and right, right. Well, no, I, I originally came to Los Angeles from Texas in nineteen ninety four with a film degree and a lot of ambition to be a screenwriter. Still got the that ambition, but it, it got I diverted into a whole different career, whole different yeah. direction. Um, part of it actually started at Warner Brothers where I worked because when I was working as a writer's production assistant, um, I was delivering scripts late at night after the show, you know, had wrapped their rehearsals and whatnot. And, uh, I went onto an old sound stage, same sound stage. I've worked on like two, three different, uh, shows, but this one night, Things were a little bit different, and uh, everyone was gone. 
for the day, the, the studio was almost completely empty. <clears throat> and I walked in with 50 scripts and the sun hadn't even set. So I didn't think anything of it. But as I was going up the stairs of this old soundstage, uh, I started realizing I'm hearing a woman speaking from somewhere down below. And so back in what, 1999, when this happened, you know, we didn't have like, I, I think we had like the old Star Trek flip phones, but we were working with pagers back then, you know, yeah. the, mm -hmm. the, the antique pager. So I didn't have a flip phone on me, but, um, uh, but I did have a pager. So I stood on the railing and I kept trying to listen to what was being said because it was a woman and kind of like has, has Melissa's voice. It was deep and, you know, um, very articulate, except it was gibberish. I couldn't make out any words. And I know this has been a phenomena that I've talked about with other paranormal people who will hear voices, but they can't make out anything anyone's saying. It's like ghost gibberish, I think is what some people call it. And I, I, I decided I'm going to stay up here for like 20 minutes. I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay on the railing. I'm going to try to pinpoint because I thought someone must be pulling a joke on me, you know. But the the sound would fade out, would come back, and it lasted well over 20 minutes. Um, finally, I had to get back to work, you know. I did have a lot of work to do, a lot of scripts to deliver. And uh, I never could make out one single word that this lady said. I couldn't even find the direction because every time the direction seemed to move around the sound stage. Meanwhile, the overhead lights that I usually flip on to turn off this darkened sound stage were acting erratic. <clears throat> None of them were coming on as usual like they normally do. So I had this kind of Spielberg poltergeist strobe effect going on on top of this lady. It was just the most surreal thing ever. So I tried tiptoeing down the stairs, real quiet, thinking, you know, if this is anything like the stories I've heard, the voice will stop by the time I hit the bottom stair, you know, and then oh, it's wow. gone. So I was trying to sneak up on whatever it was. I get halfway down the stairs, she's still talking, <laughs> get down to the bottom of the stairs, she shuts up. Oh, wow. So can't hear, I do the rounds around the looking for a radio, looking for any kind of, you know, television, radio, and walkie-talkie, anything that could be setting it off, couldn't find anything. And the lights were just flashing like crazy overhead, and there was this feeling like, get out, you're not wanted. It was really thick. And so I set the remaining scripts down, and I start walking back to the door that I had entered, and after a while, I started hearing the sound of women's heels behind me, click, wow. click, click, and the swishing of a dress. And so I stop, and I do like this gunfighter spin, you know, trying to catch whoever it is pranking me. Nothing. And what's weird is that the footsteps weren't in step with me. And they also didn't stop when I stopped. They stopped just like a, a, maybe a split second afterwards. And so I thought that was weird. So I start walking again. And again, it was about five, six steps in. I start hearing the clicking of heels again and the swishing of fabric like the dress, the bottom of the dress, rubbing against legs, 
someone walking. So I wait till we're in a completely open area where there's nothing to hide behind if it's a prankster. And um, I, she sounds like she's about 15 feet behind me at this point. And so I do my gunfighter spin again. Nothing there. Nothing. And so I walk very quickly out the door. I, I had a golf cart that I would drive around in when I would deliver scripts. So I set up that golf cart. I positioned it to see whether or not I would see someone come out after a while. And I was shaking. I mean, I had a couple of cigarettes. I was like going, what just happened, you know? Well... Uh, no one ever came out. I tried to tell my bosses about it the next day. They didn't want to hear it. Oh, wow. And the sad thing <laughs> is that this happened on Halloween, 1999. So no one would believe me. Oh, yeah. The one time out of like four shows, the only night something weird happened, Halloween, no one fessed up to it. And it wasn't until after I released my book, I was in the store and I was introduced to a guy that had worked security for years at Warner Brothers. And so I said, I have a story to tell you. And before I could even finish the story, he guessed what soundstage it was. And he validated that that soundstage has had paranormal activity for years. It's just no one would cop up to it. Yeah, I think um, we kind of discussed it at another point when I worked at Nickelodeon, um, that that soundstage is also haunted. Um, I used to work on the Amanda show for Amanda Bynes. I was her stand-in and body double. And um, in the restroom, the water would just all of a sudden turn on. So that happened to me, you know, a couple of times. And I didn't know anything about it. And then later on, they told me. So <laughs> I was always a little freaked out going to, you know, going back that's, there. But. That's the great thing about LA is that I mean there's well, there's a lot of distortions and a lot of urban legends. Yeah. There are a number of old Hollywood haunts that really do live up to their reputation. And the studios, mm -hmm. Warner Brothers, Universal, what you uh, what was the uh, Nickelodeon? Or Nickelodeon, yeah. That used it's to be sunset. a nightclub, correct? Um, Yes, I think you had mentioned it was a, it was a nightclub. It, it was a very popular nightclub in the '40s with the Hollywood set, oh, wow. and now um, I think it was Earl Carroll's was the name of it at one that point. That sounds familiar. <clears throat> and um, it became a swinging '60s venue. Uh, I, I remember seeing a picture where like the Turtles were performing there and you know uh in the, in the 60s and it went through many different incarnations before it became a shooting stage mm. nice. and that's, that's, that's so melissa i want to know how how did you start like how did you you know become an actress what what kind of like geared you towards that and then you know the paranormal oh right <laughs> yeah that's kind of Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, how did this come together? Um, <laughs> so basically, actually, okay, my sister was the one that was originally supposed to audition for this play, Annie, and this is in Arizona. And then I ended up going to the audition. She ended up staying home. And um, we were supposed to sing, I think, the song tomorrow. And um, I ended up on the news <laughs> auditioning. I think I was like 11 or something. Um, 
And from there, I just ended up doing all this community theater around Arizona. I lived in Scottsdale at the time, and there was tons of children's theater. So, um, you know, Valley Youth Theater was a popular one. I just ended up doing, you know, production after production. And I think at that point, I really just fell in love with it. My parents were really involved. They used to help build the sets. Um, it was just a fun experience. So I knew at that point, at that age, that that's what I wanted to do. There was like a couple of things I wanted to do, but I knew that was one of them. And um, from that point, when my parents ended up moving to California, of course, I really wanted to move to California at that point. But um, I just started, I got an agent when I was in high school and just started going out for auditions. And um, from there, I ended up joining SAG like a long time ago at this point. Um, and I remember I did my first film. I, after living, we lived kind of outskirts of LA. And once I moved to LA when I was 21, I was like, I just want to do a film within a year. I ended up doing a film. Wasn't the best film on earth, but, um, I ended up doing that film. And, um, from there just auditioning and, you know, just really falling in love with, I think, um, I like the story of everything and sort of expressing yourself in different ways. And I think I was always a huge like bookworm and really loved reading. And so I think like those two together are sort of like, you're always telling a story. And when you're reading, you're kind of into the character. And um, so I think those two kind of went together. Now, as far as the paranormal, um, when I was younger, I lived in two different houses and um, they were definitely haunted. I don't know if it was maybe just a one-off experience, but um, there was a couple little things that happened. Um, like I had an older radio, used to change um, the station all the time when I was a kid. And, you know, and um, I had another place that we lived in and um, I used to hear stuff in my room. And so I always had like kind of an interest in it. And my mother was really into like scary movies and horror movies and you know, things like that. So, um, so I think I always had an interest in it, but the big turning point, I think for a lot of this was really, uh, my dad ended up passing away at the end of, um, 2018. So it was like a few days after Christmas <laughs> of all times. I know, but, um, and, you know, I like my mom is Catholic. I think my dad was Protestant, but I didn't grow up in like this hugely religious family. Um, you know, they kind of let us decide what we wanted to do. So I think after he passed away, I was even more intent on trying to find, you know, what really happens after. Is there really life after death? Like, um, you know, and just, you know, I, I don't know. I just really wanted to find out more about it. And I read a zillion books and listen to tons of podcasts. And because um, my dad at the time, you know, he was like one of my best friends. I'm very, I was always very close to him. And he was pretty young when he passed away. He was 70. To me, that's, you know, kind of young. Um, so I was following Craig and, you know, he goes on all these great adventures. Um, <laughs> he does all this, you know, all these cool things. And so um, I remember the whole time I was thinking, okay, one day I'm going to go on one of his, you know, adventures and see you know what's out there and um so i ended up uh trying one of them out and then uh we ended up going on two other ones after that and um now i feel like i mean i can definitely say there is something out there i don't know if it's sometimes i wonder if it's maybe um like another dimension that's mm -hmm. there too and we're maybe we're like ghosts to them <laughs> Or, no, that's, exactly. We always talk about the movie, The Others. 
I yeah. Mean, think about it. I mean, it's kind of, you know, so, or is it the other way around or, um, I mean, I like to think like that I definitely will get to see him again. That's, you know, cause otherwise what's the point of all of this? You know, we've got to, there's gotta be more, there's gotta be more. Um, yes. And so at the time also, um, a little, like about seven years ago or so I was living in New York. Um, I was doing something completely different. I was working at the, you know, different banks in New York and, I planned on pretty much doing that for at least the next 10 to 15 years. And I was just going to write my books and that's what I was going to do. But after my dad passed away, um, that's when I returned back to California because um, my mom was out here by herself. And um, and then I thought, I'm never going to go back to acting <laughs> or, you know, I'm kind of done with that. And then all of a sudden I took like a class with um, this director named Josh Stolberg, who's done, um, he's written a couple of the Saw movies. and we had to write like our own scene. And then when I got together with one of the actresses that was going to be in the scene, she's like, you know, this is a short film. So now <laughs> I'm in like, I guess you can call it pre-production on the short film, um, wow. which is about kind of like the suburbs, but all the craziness that really goes on in the suburbs that nobody knows about. And um, so it's a little, little bit of creepy, but funny. Um, so I'm looking forward to working on that. And um, so I'm going to act in it and I wrote it and I'm going to direct it. So we're going to see how this goes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it kind of like all fell on your lap and it just blossomed from there. That's yeah, I thought about it and I thought, you know, it's really weird because I didn't plan on going back to it, at, you know? Um, I mean, not that I, you know, I always loved it, but it wasn't something I thought, I thought, oh, that was my time. That was, you know, interesting. And I had a fun time, but it is kind of odd how just life sort of happens and I'm just sort of going with the flow now, just, you know, going after what you also desire too, like what yes. makes you happy. Too. I think that everything happens for a reason and we're all meant to do what we kind of are pushed in a different direction to do, if that makes any sense. That's true. Right? So we true. have Robert, Diane, um, Robert, there's a coincidence after death, life ends with the last heartbeat. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, um, I did have like some experiences, I would say like after my dad did pass away that were sort of interesting. Um, so, you know, that was kind of cool. Um, like when we came home after me and my mom came home from the hospital, it ended up happening at UCLA hospital. Um, the clock had stopped on the exact time that he had passed away. Um, so when we came home, we're like, that's weird. Um, it's so Victorian. The Almond Brothers, there's a song named Melissa. And I used to hear that everywhere. I remember I was in a bar in Brooklyn. This is after my dad passed away. And then all of a sudden I walk in, the jukebox comes on. This is a song, Melissa. I'm like, okay, this is creepy. It, it used to come on everywhere. It was weird. <laughs> What song is that? Um, it's called Melissa. It's by the Almond Brothers. Yeah, no, how does it go? I'm trying to think. Um, it's kind of a sort of a sad song. I don't know. Um, no, I was thinking of Barry Manilow, right? Barry, he sings a song like that. But I think it was, yeah, but it was definitely a sign. Yeah. That's, that's I would hear it a lot. 
but I just remember in particular that time when I was in Brooklyn, I was like, that's so weird. Like it's so random. Just no, you, we, we think it's weird, but it's not. The truth is when you said, well, you see that again, 1 million percent, I could speak for hands down. And number two is we're all leased vehicles. We're on here for a short time. That's all we are. We're here for an experience. And that's, you know, I've had a lot of experiences myself, my wife, and, you know, a lot of people ask, is there another side? <laughs> Let me tell you something. This is the illusion right here. And you'll see when you cross. This is the dream state. And, and you know, when we talk about ghost hunting, right? And look, it's not the dead that scare me. It's the living in the world that I live in. That's true, actually. I'll be friends with the dead any day because the truth is they're not dead. It's just what we call dead, but they're not dead. Um, we're just the silhouettes. That's all we are. And then we, we leave the least vehicle and we go back home. Um, and it's interesting because it ties into, first of all, there are no coincidences in life. It's no coincidence. We all have a puzzle. We put it together and we've designed it before we're born to the physical realm. It's like a soul contract, you know? And when we investigate, the most truth is that movie, it speaks a lot of volumes to others because, you know, they think that they're the ghost. Meanwhile, they're the ghost and they don't even know it. And it's fascinating. And when you had said something about different dimensions, the answer is yes, most definitely. Yeah. Um, it's like sometimes we can cross dimension where we go into that realm of communication. And I, and I, I like the fact that both of yous, look, you're an actor, actress, and you have a big title, and yet you believe in things of the unknown and you have an open mind and it's for a reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, Greg, what, yeah. what inspired you to write your books? Well, yeah, it's similar, uh, in theme, different stories, similar theme to Melissa. Um, you know, I <clears throat> wanted to be a writer and, um, I was working, had been working on Gilmore Girls, and then I got married. I ended up working for a chamber of commerce, and then ended up working for the uh, uh, IATSE, IATSE, representing camera crews in film and TV. And uh, after about four years of that, I was ready to do my own project, but I had no idea what my own project would be. I had a script, an old Hollywood script, big old Hollywood fan, always have been, that's why I'm in LA. And uh, so I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to shoot uh, some visuals in order to help market this script when I go into pitch sessions? So I was um, investing in, I was hiring models and I was dressing them up in 1920s clothing, some of the stuff was bought at uh, eBay, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but rather than rent a house and have it decorated, I thought, well, why not go to a hotel? Because there's plenty of uh, old historic hotels in Southern California, and they have good bones, so we'll just shoot there. So I dressed them up. In this particular case, the first one was just one model, and it was the Mission Inn, and she had a room directly below me, and then I invested in this suite because it had a great look to it. Um, the Mission Inn 
is a Spanish revival, Moorish. It, it's got many different styles, but it was built to look like an actual Spanish mission. So it, you could play with different genres, different time periods, and that's why I chose it. Now, I had heard that it was haunted, and I thought, well, that could be fun, you know, but I wasn't there to ghost hunt. I was there to shoot, and the suite that I rented, I didn't, I found nothing online saying that it was haunted. So I thought, okay, it's fine. Well, it wasn't. Um, well, it was fine, all right. I guess for me, it was kind of life changing. But, you know, after shooting overnight, the next day, uh, the model's downstairs. She's passed out. I'm not going to disturb her. Um, I go and run some errands. I come in at noon in August in Riverside. 100 degrees at noon and i thought housekeeping was moving around toiletry items in the bathroom so i call out hello i'm here no response i go into the bathroom no one's there so i just shrug it off and i'm crazy from the heat i guess um so i sit down and i'm on my computer firing off emails then suddenly i'm hearing other weird noises and the suite that i'd rented actually had a loft stairs that went to a, just a, a, a loft that was half a floor. Well, I hear the sound of what sound like metal coins bouncing on wood upstairs, and I still ignore it because I'm like, you know, I, I can only do one thing at a time. So I'm writing, trying to write this email. Then I hear the clock clock again of women's heels walking across this time a tile floor overhead. And then that's, I, I distinctly remember finishing my email going, I think I have a ghost. I'll get back with you later. <laughs> so I grab a recorder and I go up there to record for 20 minutes. I don't hear anything. I've checked the whole perimeter. No one's around. And, uh, and I felt like such a fool, you know, asking questions to nothing and getting nothing. First time I'd ever done like a real attempt at an EVP session. But when I played it back, it sounded like a woman's voice. Mm. And so forget the photo shoot from that point. I was like, really like, what is going on? And so um, I did switch suites. We were there for four days. And on the final night, we I went to like the most, one of the most famous Suites in the whole building. Everyone loves to stay there. I hated it. There was something about that atmosphere that was just, I didn't want to be alone in that room. And no matter how much light I pumped into that room, everything was too dark. No. And, I, and, and it was like whatever was there was just like absorbing the light, absorbing the light. And I was getting very frustrated. Uh, couldn't get any real decent pictures. I'm on edge. And part of it's fatigue. You know, you're shooting around the clock for four days. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know what is setting me off. Is it the fatigue or is it the atmosphere of that place? Well, I think it was the atmosphere of the place. Um, because at one point, the phone rings. I go outside in the courtyard area, even though it's on the top floor of the Mission Inn, four floors up. Uh, I'm talking uh, to someone uh, at 15 minutes. I'm walking back. Something catches my attention out of the corner of my eye. I'm looking, and it's an open mouth, 
hallway that's kind of like a dungeon, it looks like, but there's no door to go in. It's open mouth. You go through there. There's a couple of alcoves that go to rooms on either side, and then at the very far end of this narrow, small, short hallway is a glass door. Once you pass through it, you're literally inside the building. So it's an outdoor, open mouth tunnel. And so I'm like, what is it that caught my eye? And I'm going, okay, shadow from the lights. It's kind of spooky, lit. No, no blue Ghostbuster. No Pillsbury Doughboy. You know, nothing like that. No blue ghost. Um, and but there's a shadow on the side. And I go, okay, shadow. And I go, hmm. Let me try one more time. And then I land back on that shadow. And I go, you know, it kind of looks human like. You know, it looks like it's wearing a habit or something, a priest, priest thing. And just when I'm thinking, I wonder what is casting that shadow because it looks darker than the other shadows there. That's, and it looks like it's peeking around an alcove, which I thought was really weird. And as soon as I thought that, that shadow went behind the corner. <laughs> and uh, I was like a deer in headlights like what was that uh -huh. and so the little voice inside me goes tell me go check it out <laughs> like everybody that gets killed in a horror film i go and pursue but i didn't get killed <laughs> i went around the corner and it was just a short hallway two doors one was a door that i later found out was to one of the most actively haunted suites in the mission Inn. but the other one was going to the bedroom where I was going to sleep that night. Oh, boy. So I walked in, you know, I looked like I had seen a ghost. I had, um, I didn't believe in shadow figures at the time. In fact, I was adamant that they did not exist. Mm -hmm. Then I saw one, and it wasn't out of the corner of my eye. I saw that full, <laughs> and, I, and it was pretty close. And I slept with the lights on for about 10 days. <laughs> afterwards and I was writing everyone I knew about what is a shadow person what is a shadow person and I got all kinds of crazy answers from you know you've you've heard them all we probably we've all probably talked about them whether they're out of body experiences space aliens interdimensional travel travelers demons indigenous uh spirits um I actually just think it's it's just a type of manifestation of a ghost um, kind of a mid-range manifestation as opposed to like mist on the low end and full body on the upper end, high end of manifestation. This is one where it seems like it's trying to take a human shape, which is why it looks like it's wearing a toga, but it's not quite well formed. But I, I'll tell you, it's blacker than black. Yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. very strange. And this is just my hypothesis and nothing to base it on. I've never really seen a shadow figure since. I want to. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was a case of like pareidolia in reverse where I literally thought it was a shadow. I didn't think anything of it until it moved because it was very still until it decided to move. So what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, my take on the shadow because um, the shadow people, whatever you want to call them, are interdimensional beings. 
um, through various investigations for myself and people around the world, what we've came up with was that they're very intelligent, mm -hmm. very intelligent. And if you really get to communicate with the shadow being, they're interdimensional. So we really don't know, are they from somewhere else or they just cross dimension? Uh, it's still to be determined. But what we do know is that they know everything you do before you do it. And we did, um, we were doing tests with that where we would have investigators outside of the property, inside a property. And when these things came through, these dark shadows, they told us verbatim who was texting on the phone to a spouse or a friend. Um, it's fascinating. Again, some of these things are, you just, you, you shake your head and you try to understand it, but we do know they're intelligent. Uh, I think they come out when it's our intent to try to communicate. And sometimes we don't even know we have the intent. It's just that it's a thought process. It, uh, am I alone, right? You know, even like Melissa said that um, about the horror movies, right? You watch horror movies and even though you maybe you don't believe in ghosts or whatever, but now you're putting yourself in the position of that mental state. You're getting scared, you get frightened, and then you get the spooks. And then sometimes, just sometimes, comes the spooks, right? Where the little voices come from nowhere. It's it's just another part of something that is um, intelligent. And, um, you know, a lot more intelligent than a lot of human beings, I could say that a lot more advanced way advanced than us we're not we're not alone here you know and it brings the rule of you know some people laugh look we're in the age where if you think you're alone in the universe then you better get your head checked and see a psychiatrist we're not alone we've never been alone and we're not the first pioneers on the physical realm there are these things called aliens um whether you believe it or you don't or you've had an encounter and it's not the way they're portraying it to be. They're interdimensional, some of these things. And am I afraid? When you're alone, you get you get scared, right? When you're alone, you're like, oh, what is it? And we also did a, a study based on religion, different types of religions. If you were a Catholic or if you're a Christian, would these things affect you in a different way? Or if you don't believe in anything and you're an atheist, would you be affected at all? Would you even see it? And the theories are really strong that some people who just don't see and don't believe and never believed in any form of religion, sometimes they don't experience anything. While other people who are embedded into religion have these encounters. So again, it's to be determined exactly what they are, but I don't think they affect us in the way that we should be worried enough like we're going to get taken over right um and start doing these atrocities of killings and whatnot and I, I like that i like the fact that you brought that up even melissa with the horror movies because it all correlates together it formulates that you know you're you're you are you have your practices in life right you have your titles but yet you seek subconsciously you seek the unknown Right, whether it's a, a loss of a parent or it's something that you've encountered on stage. And how many times have we heard that um, 
wow, I've heard so many times Elvis Presley, he's in that same building. Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley. And then you have people making these devices, these uh, ghost boxes and whatnot. I don't know if I put a lot of stock into that. I put stock into Class A EVPs, which you can get with your cell phone. See, if a ghost, in my belief, if a ghost really wants to communicate, you don't need paranormal equipment. You can use your phone and put on record. And if it's really something there, you're going to get a playback. We found that out at the Palomar, didn't we, Melissa? Oh, yes. <laughs> what happened? Uh, she took the most active, the reputation for the most active place, Room 3, and she's a character in her own right and that she, she gets kind of neurotic uh I'm like i can't in, I can't, in, a, in yeah. a funny way in a fun way it's almost like a character in a movie where she's gone well i could stay here do you think it'll be okay if i stay here do you, <laughs> you know it's like she wants to encounter it at the same time she is so ready to bolt yeah. at the same time and so i'm i'm sitting there and uh or laying there on the bed. I'm trying, we're all, it's after four. I'm trying to stay awake. And she's going, she's like just having this almost debate with herself, uh, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And she goes, now a lot of people have stayed here. It's a honeymoon suite, right? And I go, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was the honeymoon suite. <laughs> and she goes, and a lot of people probably have never had any experiences here, right? And I go, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's like a five, six, seven second difference. And then there's a voice that goes, mm -hmm. <laughs> So we've had a history of a mimicker, some, a voice in that room that repeats what, uh, what's being said in that room. In this particular case, because I was kind of making a funny, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just listening. I'm just letting her work her way through her own discussion in her head. Well, the other and, thing is like, uh, well, remember when I first got there and I went up the stairs and I thought there was one person that was in a room, but I thought nobody yeah. was there. And I kept on saying, is anybody here? Is anybody here? And I swear to God, I thought I heard yes, by like a female voice kind of right by my ear. And I'm like, okay, I'm running down. We caught it again in the audio said. later that night because you were going from room to room. Is anyone here? Almost in every recorder, um, there is a male this time. And he says, yes. Okay. But we didn't hear it, but we did catch some, this place, the Palomar, it's in Temecula, which is a very old settlement that is actually a relatively new city. They didn't incorporate until the 80s, 1980s, but it was around a lot longer than that as a stagecoach stop and a little farming community, whatever, ranching community. But um, this building, 1929, has a little bit of a mystery. One of the great things about what I do is I end up becoming the, the sole historian of these places. So I actually found out that the historical marker is wrong after looking at the tax records, trying to estimate when this building was actually built. Um, that's one thing I do is I fact check historians as well as paranormal people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and both, <laughs> both are almost equally wrong on some things. Or are they cherry, the historians cherry pick what they want, or they don't quite connect the dots correctly. And so, you know, I do my best to do that. Anyway, uh, I digress. The Palomar Inn, for whatever reason, is like one of these really active places. 
always joke that it's the most haunted hotel in Southern California if you base hauntings by square footage. Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, but we were hearing audibles and mm-hmm. and lately that's uh, every time I've been there doing an investigation, even when you guys, there was a point where I was saying, do you just murmur? And you and Crystal were saying, no, I didn't say anything. Well. I let it go, but on the audio, one of the audio the audio recorders did pick up a murmur, and it isn't one of you two. And I remember the dog barking. I thought that. Yeah, was the dog bark. That's weird. I'm still looking into that one. I, I still yeah. try to be as as skeptical as possible. Yeah. Um, I I do want to point out that after what happened at the Mission Inn. I went to another hotel, tried to conduct a vintage style photo shoot there. Weird things broke out. And that's kind of what started the whole um, haunted by history thing that led to a book is I did an experiment where uh, I would dress, we would rent the most haunted spaces, dress people up in different time periods and shoot. And in some cases, if it's like, for instance, the Hotel Del Coronado has a famous ghost known as Kate Morgan. They even know what room she lived in. She didn't die there, but she lived in that room prior to her suicide on the steps going out. Mm-hmm. And they said that room's haunted. So we dressed someone up as Kate Morgan and we paraded all over that place, you know, and all hours of the day and night. And uh and including the Kate Morgan room. And then we would uh mic the rooms after doing the shoot. But it, it's an actual, a very effective paranormal investigating technique. Uh, it's called the theory of familiarization. And what you're doing is you're playing psychological games. You're trying to confuse it into coming forward, uh, where we become the, the, the hunted, you know? Mm-hmm. We, we set ourselves up in a position like that. And and I will say that in almost every case, we've caught some very clear EVPs or we've had disruptions, doors opening and closing, things like that, no one on the other side. Uh, and with the Palomar, I actually did photograph what appears to be a ghost. I, I've given up explaining it. But I do try to take a very skeptical. I know a lot of people love to throw around the word skeptic, but sometimes I err on the side yeah. of being overly skeptical. So I am like your true skeptic, but I also am a believer. I've had had too many things, experienced too many things. Uh, I know it's out there. It's not a matter of believing. It's a matter of knowing Mm. uh, that it's there. It's just trying to figure out exactly how it operates, what it works, what clues it gives. But there's one uh, paranormal investigator, I forgot who she is, but she said something that I couldn't agree with more. She said that if there's no history, there's no haunting. And that's really the pillar of the paranormal. There are two main pillars that I go by. Science, which is still unfortunately in the realm of pseudoscience, but I'm okay with that because all science starts as pseudoscience. I mean, it's not a bad thing. Uh, and history, which is kind of an academia side to it. And so I actually use history as a litmus test to test some of these ghost legends in order to determine whether this is just a made-up story, which often cases it is, 
or whether or not this actually has relevance to what we're picking up on audio and what people are experiencing. Yeah. You know, in, in all these cases that you've worked on, have you ever had something that in that you think might have followed you home or attached itself to you? Once, only once. Okay. It was, there's a... <clears throat> Ironically, it's the one time I ever did the ritual of, you can't follow me, I can't help you, stay here, you're not oh. welcome. The one time I did that is the one time something followed me. So I don't do that anymore. It's like, screw that, that didn't work. That didn't work so well. Um, you know, uh, but it was at the Colorado Bridge in Pasadena, which has the nickname of, of the Suicide Bridge. Nothing happened while we were there that okay. I'm aware of. And I was there for a whole time, and uh, you know, three, four hours. I think one of the guys that I was with caught an EVP, but I never caught anything. And so um, I did the ritual because everyone was saying, you got to do the ritual. You got to make sure that nothing follows you home. So I do it in earnest. And like within 24 hours, I'm in my office at midnight. I'm running some tests on my computer, and some man whispers right in my ear, and I'm like, Oh, what was that? Then my daughter uh, asked her mom, "Hey, mom, why did my stuffed animal just roll over on over on its back from one side to another?" And then my wife heard the male voice in the laundry room, so I got in big trouble, and uh, How did it, and it lasted for about a week, and oh. then it, it went away. Okay, I figured you know whatever was there once they got. Hung out with my family for a little bit. Of stuff. <laughs> like we're out of here. Yeah, these guys aren't going to help me with anything. You know, <laughs> they can't even help themselves. So, um, so yeah, so they they it, it disappeared. But yeah, oh boy, I was sleeping on the yeah, sofa for a while. Yeah, the crazy thing about attachments is that, you know, we could get them anywhere. It doesn't have to be if we're working on a case. I mean, you could go into a store and, you know, it it ha it, ha it can happen. Um, so, you know, most of the time they're not bad. They're just lost. And well, I have a question for Philip. Oh, boy. Yeah. Can, I you, can, I, can I shoot you a question? Yeah. We're, going back, we're going back to shadow figures. Because I've, I've been stumped by a story. Okay. Um, I'm a historian of the Aztec Hotel in Monrovia, California. It's a very funky building. Not even a lot of people even know about it. Uh, back in like 2010, I, I got to know all the residents. And one of the residents was a guy named John. And he worked the front desk. He was in the 70s. Uh, reformed alcoholic. Um, but kind of down and out. That's why he was living there. But he was extremely bright, articulate. He had Broadway credits uh, as a stage manager. He was thinking about writing a book. Uh, and and we had many good conversations. And uh, I had always asked him, did you ever have anything weird happen to you? No. But I'm open to the idea that, you know, something might happen or that it is haunted. It's just nothing's ever happened. Well, fast forward, um, it was right after Halloween, between Halloween and Thanksgiving, I come in on a Wednesday just to check on the place. Um, and 
uh, he, he's all excited. He's working the front desk and he goes, can you, I said, I wanted to call you. I need to talk to you about something. Something finally happened. I finally saw something. And I said, what, what is it? And he said, well, I was working the front desk. This was about four in the morning and I'm reading and I look up and from a window in the lobby that goes and in, leads into the, uh, the bar area, that window's since been closed off and sealed because of the story I'm about to tell you. Um, but uh, he said he saw what looked, he described it as a bat, a large bat, black, glides in through the window and it starts gliding about five feet off the ground towards him. And just as it gets to the desk, he's on the inside of the desk. This is on the outside of the desk. It suddenly swoops out of sight and he can't see it. So he goes around the, uh, the front desk and looks expecting to see a dazed bat or something. And there's nothing there. And <clears throat> my best explanation to him at the time was like, well, you describe it as a bat, but you're saying it's gliding. I said, was it flapping its wings like a bat? Because bats don't glide that I'm aware of. And uh, he said, no, it was gliding. And I said, and it was about this far off the ground. I said, you know, I have come across reports of people claiming to see shadow figures shaped like a stingray. Mm -hmm. There was a case in the Philippines where someone had seen that. And, it, and stingrays will have a oh. glide, gliding look. And he said, no, it didn't flap any wings. It just glided. Well, I said, well, actually, I recommended him see a doctor um, <laughs> and maybe get his eyes checked. I mean, I know it's lame. Everyone always laughs. And it was, it's embarrassing to say that. But, you know, I was kind of like going, well, you know, you want to do due diligence and make sure your health's okay. He never did. He never lived long enough. So I had seen him on a Wednesday. He had talked about something that had happened to him on a Saturday morning at 4 a.m. The following Saturday, which was like two, two, three days after I talked to him, he comes back from visiting his wife and estranged kid. He opens the door to his car to get out in the parking lot of the hotel. His heart stops. He falls and breaks his neck. Oh. They oh. Re resuscitate the body after 10 minutes. So he's brain dead, but his vital, his basic body signs are still functioning. Um, so we all heard this. The owner had called and told me this. And, you know, everyone was devastated by this. And the family was contacted. They had to make a decision on what to do. He's in a vegetative state. They can't keep him. They shouldn't be keeping him on life support if he's practically dead for all practical and then they made up their mind on a Thursday or Friday to go ahead and pull the plug. But again, to the day, we're talking Saturday, they were going to pull the plug on Sunday, on an, but on Saturday, after they made the decision on Friday, he dies on, while on the life support machine. So this raises the question, 
uh, and you have seven minutes to answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that stingray was? That's that a very that's a very good question. And in my belief through investigating that things can appear and disappear, just like your cell phone, just like your keys, and just like people see Bigfoot and other people don't, and yet Bigfoot's never caught on any type of a camera from our government, supposedly, but people have claimed to see Bigfoot. People have claimed to see um, something similar to what you're talking about on that bridge. There was a bridge there. Um, the bat with the big bat with the wings. I've forgotten. I think that's where a similarity came with that movie that they made, Joel. Um, Cheapest Creepers, for example. It was based off of a little bit of that. Okay. And I think that he did see something and it came through and he's correct. Well, look, you're, you're skeptic. No one's more skeptic than me, okay? I'm from New York. I got a thick head. I don't believe nothing until I see it. And if I see right. it, I'm still going to have my own head checked. But do I think that he's, he's real? Yeah. And do I think that it came through? Most definitely. It, it was a cross dimension of something that he's explaining just the way it was. Do you ever notice? Now, are you ready for this? And here's this is going to sum it up for you. People who are maybe a day or two away from dying, they're in their deathbed and they're being taken care of by hospice. They will make claims to see relatives or angels right and meanwhile the nurse can be like well there's nothing here mrs jones no no i see it well the truth really is that these people are not hallucinating these things are coming through but it's with that spirit eye that once you're getting ready now to make that cross into another dimension you can see things other people cannot and the fact that he passed away not too shy after that tells me that he was seeing something um do i have a name for what he's seen now but i have heard something similar to that yeah i've heard that well let me just preface by saying no one before since has seen a shadow figure in that shape at at this location period um it's rare that people actually even see shadows there although there have been shadow figure sightings you know uh reported over over the years um some people have said well maybe it's a harbinger of some kind but i do actually like i think i i, I like your explanation so far the best it, but what's kind of weird and would be kind of creepy about it is that <clears throat> the people that are on in hospice they already know they're dying it's usually it's cancer or pneumonia or or, or something you know that dementia alzheimer's it's just you know it's 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 something that they knew about something that's been going on for a while with this one it's just a very sudden death you know just sudden death he was not expecting this that i'm aware of you know um and uh there were never any hints or any clues he, i think he expected to fully come back now i will say this what i think brought it on um is that he is in his 70s you know so uh there were some bikers or wild people that had come into the hotel and they were staying in rooms on the second floor the night he was working that night shift and they were making so much noise that it was aggravating him and he 
uh, called the police. And the police had to get involved to get these people to knock it off and restore order in the building. So he was already excitable when he got off work to go yeah. see his son. And usually he rests a little bit, you know, but he was too excited to do it. So he he just went ahead and did not rest and just went to see his son. And then when he came back from seeing it, that's when he, he dropped practically, you know, fall, fall dead, yeah. you know, in the parking lot. So this is a case where it was very sudden, could have been preventable had he rested a little bit, had he not been excited. But what you're trying to say is that maybe his time was already up and, no, he, yeah, like and I, nobody knew yeah. it except him. But you also you don't said, have said that, that um, I don't think there was no everything ahead of time as well. Right. He was seeing something, I believe, through a third eye. And I also believe when you said sudden death, look, we all have contracts. Um, I know this verbatim. We have contracts. You just don't remember them. You have a time and a place when you say it's an exit. It's over. I experience what I want to experience. But we can't gather that. We can't fathom that because in the reality scope, we have five senses of things that we only see or believe and hear or think what we were told or heard or what we learned by ourselves. But when the people have out-of-body experiences or those people who are ready to cross over or people who had near-death experiences, it's all, all bets are off because now you see everything and you feel everything for what it really is. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're outside of the box and I believe he was outside of the box. Um, and that was it, that was the exit sign. And we try to make sense out of things, but sometimes you don't make sense to you actually go through what he went through and cross over and then you understand all the pieces to the puzzle of a man's life. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. And both of you, you know, there's so much I wanted to get into, but unfortunately, we're at 8.59 and a half. I wanted to get into actual acting and, and um, all that stuff, too, all those goody things, you know. But I, I like the fact, I love the fact that both of you have an interest into the unknown. And you hire your high professional people in the spotlight. It tells me a lot. It shows me a lot. And keep up your mission on both ends of what you're doing because it's a calling it is your calling absolutely thank you absolutely yeah. i definitely will and um, melissa where where can we find your book before we get uh, well i'm actually working on it now um there's a writer by the name of jean kwok she just had a book that came out it's called the leftover woman i actually have it here um she helped me kind of map out the book so now i just have to sit down but in chair and write, you know, that's, uh, so where, where, and when do you think it would be out? Um, I think it may be a little bit longer only because I want to do it traditionally published. And, yeah. um, so that could take some time, you know, getting the agent. And then after that they submit it. And, yeah. and then usually once they even are, once it's accepted, it's like a year out, but I will definitely keep you guys updated. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations. I mean, you are, you're awesome. You're Oh, it's not easy to write a book, as we all know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Time. Um, no, Melissa's great, you. and like she, she and I, we have a lot more ghost adventures to do together. Okay. So now, we, we've had, you know what? We've had I some good times already. 
this has been a great show and i think we need to have a part two to really like yeah i would love to ghost hunt with both of them right joel yes yeah that'd be fun <laughs> well we have to go to la i mean we're far away though that means that we yeah. the kids well. <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> Well, All thank right, you guys. guys. Thank you so, so thank much. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. And, and this was very genuine conversation tonight. Um, I'd like to have a follow-up part two and keep in touch with both of you and your experiences. And I promise you this, we'll end off with this. I promise you it all ties together in the end. It's <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so Special thank you to Carnation for fully sponsoring the show. We love them. Thank you. And join us next Monday night. It's the same time at 107.7 FM and 105.3 FM from New Orleans. So thank you so much. Have a great night, guys. Okay. Thank Bye. you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.